Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. This is a uh, second part of our series, Christianity-ism versus the gospel. Uh, we're looking at justice again. Uh, so my teaser from the last podcast went something like this. George Floyd deserves far more than what our human courts can ever offer. And that's Christian's bottom line is, is this may be good in our judicial system, right? It's not great uh, that we have to wait for uh, from heaven, but it's not an if, it's a win. And we shouldn't accept anything less than justice ultimately, right? And we shouldn't expect our current system to provide that kind of justice. The gospel is the only thing that suggests that there is more. And and not if, it's when. Do we really believe that, though? And, and enough to start actually saying that, that that's one of the, the, the parts of the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah, look, and, and I get it. If you were bothered by the last podcast or you read it wrong or you, or you felt like it was a microaggressor, man, your head's going to pop with this one. So anyway, back to the Guardian headline, April 20th, 2021. Quote, today's verdict isn't justice, but accountability is a first step to justice. So here's uh, Minnesota's Attorney General Keith Ellison's comments. Everyone involved in this prosecution pursued one goal, justice. We pursued justice wherever it led. I would not call today's verdict justice, however, because justice implies true restoration. But it is accountability, which is the first step towards justice. And now the cause of justice is in your hands. And when I say your hands, I mean the hands of the people of the United States. Close quote. In the last podcast, I began to make the case that we Christians were missing golden opportunities to proclaim the gospel and, frankly, to believe in the gospel in a way that is amazingly relevant, powerful to real people living in the real world. Go back and check it out if you missed it. I wondered aloud if we Christians actually believed this about the gospel and the finished work of Jesus Christ anymore. I mean, I'm not referring to how one is saved, right? I think we, uh, I, I guess I would say we, we, we all agree on that, but most of us agree on that. Uh, what I'm speaking about is the actual difference it should make in our lives today. Our very sense of worth, our significance, security, belonging. And, and look, no judgment. Everyone falls short and drifts. Our faith drifts, experience of faith. But there appears to be a tectonic shifting away from historic gospel Christianity. Uh, appealing stuff, dangerous stuff, life-changing stuff to a more secular humanistic version that I've labeled Christianity-ism. And the difference is this. Where do you run when you are busted, fall short, feel like a disappointment to God or others, feel ashamed, uh, feel not enoughness and disconnectedness, feel beat up, dishonored, betrayed, feel treated with chronic racism, robbed, abused? Where do you automatically Run. Where's your savior? In, a, in another way of putting it, if you run to God, ask the spirit in your inner being to make you feel honored, loved, cared for, the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for you as you are, not as you should be or could be, and access his power, his power, and be, to begin to feel loved and to love other people, to begin to have your cup filled a bit with the fullness of God. Ephesians 3 says that whatever that is, by the way, it's got to be good and far more addictive than crack, then the gospel has penetrated your inner brain, your midbrain, your uh, habitual brain, 
And that's not a technical term, but you know what I mean. But if instead, and I'm suggesting this is the tectonic shift that, that we've seen in the last 500 years of Christianity, if you, instead you run to your own self-effort, your own power, it's your responsibility, uh, self-talk, positive or negative, uh, the judicial court systems that we've created, human judicial court systems, to other social movements designed to make you and the rest of humanity feel better somehow, right? You, uh, you, you get the idea. And these might be good things and they might be loving things, but yeah, you're le- we're leaving so much on the table, right? And we may end up doing good things, but we're doing it on our own power. And by the way, limited to our own power and government and, and, and social norms. So whether we see it or not, if, if that's the case, then our God has become a deistic God. He dwells in the ether sphere somewhere out there, distant, and he's impatiently waiting for you to fix yourself or get fixed, for you to work harder, hard enough, to be enough, to love others enough, to love him enough, right? Be righteous enough, have faith enough before maybe he'll pay attention to you and maybe bless you and, and be pleased with the world. Or, by the way, even notice you there. And if this is you, then you've become a bit of a secular humanist deist. That does not make you evil. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I can to say this isn't judgment. I struggle with this, too. It doesn't make you less a Christian, but it does imply, infer that you are stuck trying to fix things on your own and leaving so much on the table. So how's that going for you? And look around. How's that going for our world? Maybe it's helpful to think of it, I do this a lot, to think of it as a zero to 10 scale. None of us are zero or 10, so we're all in the middle somewhere, and it's fluid. We move back and forth. Christian growth is leaning towards 10 more, uh, justice, faith, loving, being loved, learning more and more to depend upon Jesus for our well-being and ability to love and motivation to really love others. That's wildly different than learning more and more to become more like Jesus or do the things Jesus would do, right? That, again, is just disguised Christianityism where it falls back on you. But learning more and more to depend upon Jesus and his power and his giving you a new heart and new motivation. And maybe you have never heard that before, but depending upon Jesus is a wildly different path than trying to be more like Jesus, right? And the Bible doesn't—I haven't found anywhere— it says to become more like Jesus. Maybe you have just become swayed by this vast tidal wave of secular humanism dressed up to sound Christian, loving, and caring, and it has been marinating us. I mean, I don't know how we avoid it in our children for decades. If And look, if there was no God, no spirit, no work of Jesus 2,000 years ago, Secular humanism is pretty good. I mean, it's a positive philosophy, right? Let's make the world better. So, um, but it's not Christianity. So I want to look at justice from this dual lens. And I've spoken to a number of Christians lately, young adults who are passionate. We need to listen. They're passionate about their desire to see racism finally broken in the world. Man, that is so good. Fantastic. Good for them. And we should listen. They have so many good things to say. It's a great passion, and it's a goal worth spending a lifetime on. And certainly Jesus would buy into that vision. He hates dehumanization of any kind, and that would include racism. And I have to believe that he hates it even more when 
somehow his name is attached to racism because Jesus wasn't a racist. In fact, technically, he was the only person who has ever lived that wasn't a racist. He suffered and died for all color of skins, all socioeconomic, all sexes. So technically, to go one step further, the Holy Spirit in our inner being is now the only person on earth who is not a racist, period. So these well-meaning Christians, right, young adults primarily, are rightly frustrated with historic Christianity and present Christianity, the institutional church that we look at on a weekly basis of Jesus and his hypocrisy, lukewarmness, and attentiveness related to this important battle. Christianityism doesn't have a lot of muscles to do anything about this and maybe not a lot of motivation. So the young adults say that churches need to roll up their sleeves and get started uh, getting their hands dirty. They, the church needs to admit and repent of inherent innate historic racism and indifference towards people of color. And they need to lean into social justice efforts, politics, movements, such as critical race theory. I mean, all of those things. And, and they say talk is cheap. Where's the action? Right? James versus Galatians, if you know that debate. So many of these young adults are leaving the halls of the church because they aren't seeing the action. They aren't seeing the church of Jesus leading the way. Rather, they see it getting in the way and promoting inherently status quo, meaning doing nothing. Not really. There are still white churches over here and black churches over there. So what would Jesus do? Well, they say, the young adults would say that he would be in the streets in BLM rallies, calling for reformation and education and policing systems. He would be changing justice laws so that fewer black men and women are arrested for minor drug charges. So he would be behind legalizing pot. He would stop the hassling, the dishonoring of men and women of color. He would make sure that persons of color can get equal education and equal employment. He would have whites repent and move out of the way, and he would reduce the shootings of blacks. Yeah, um, uh, look, I think Jesus might be behind most of those things. And look, stop before you stop listening, here's where I'm headed. None of those solutions, right, whether you think Jesus would do them or not, comes anywhere close to reaching the bar that Jesus sets. I mean, they might be leaning in that direction, and I think most are, but Jesus' bar is much, much higher, and that's the call of Jesus, the passion of Jesus. The actions that Jesus would support are so much bigger than any and all of those things. So those things, even the good things I mentioned, the important and good social changes that we need to lean into, are still drenched with secular humanism and therefore limited by our own capacity and capability and the capacity and capability of of things where we all get together like governments and movements, right? As good as they are, the gospel is bigger. So where do you run to when social injustice happens in your community? Do you, do we run to God and become empowered to love and love others beyond our capacity to get new hearts, which are different than the ones we have today, uh, that move out, that actually love others, and so therefore necessarily do acts of love for others who love the unlovable, to see hearts change to the 
the community is more motivated to make structural changes and and given the power to actually see eyes of faith, the mind of Jesus, to see others as more valuable than self, to see others, and that would include racism, right? This would be the end of racism, right? To see others as lovable and honorable as much as you. Or, all right, that's one path. Or do you, do we shift to a higher human gear, and try to make good enough institutional changes on our own steam through legislation, dialogue, social unrest, right? And at least on paper, the goals are the same. God hates dehumanization. He hates racism. And his spirit adores people of all races. His spirit in the inner being of all Christians. And when Christians ignore or overlook or forget to access, or maybe you've never been told to access the spirit to empower you or me, all of us, to love and be loved, and we start doing good things on our own, then we move out with very little power and we can make very few lasting changes. And the changes are usually only on paper and are changed in the next generation. They end up, uh, we're putting together houses of cards. In the end, listen, in the end, only the spirit loves others, really. And we're supposed to, but we do not. We won't. Not really. Right? On your own, you do not. You won't. Not really. Not at the level that we're commanded to, that I'm commanded to, that you're commanded to. We only love anywhere close to that love when we're in sync and empowered right now, presently, by the Spirit's power. And how do we get that? Well, that's our passion of gospel at ministries. We, we ask. Anybody can do it. A child could do it. A pastor could do it. A president, a governor, a senator could do it. A white man, a black man, white woman, black woman, a person of any sex can do it. To put it more succinctly, well-meaning young adult and others, if we really, really want to end racism in the United States, if we really want to kick it in the groins, dialoguing more won't do it. Educational reform can be good, but it won't do it. Better legislation might be good and helpful, but it won't do it. Police reform might be good. By the way, we've been doing police reform and, and since I was born, and that clearly doesn't do it. And don't get me wrong, it can help. It might be a good thing to do, and I think it is. It might even help a lot, but Jesus didn't die so that we could work harder to achieve loving each other, <laughs> right? He died to pay for all of our falling short of loving and being loved so that his spirit could change us today and tomorrow and the next day, so that we would actually love more and be loved, feel loved, experience his love daily. That will change things, right? That's revival. Um, If you want a better, uh, more socially just country, place, community, city, where the people are seen as equally honored, it will have to be a spiritual miracle, and, and those are available to us. Not perfectly, that's heaven, but it should be noticeable. In the end, things happen, things change, work of loves happen. On a scale of zero to 10, changes wrought by the best humanistic, secular humanistic effort, Christianityism. Look, and, and, we, and let's say we start at a two, and man, if we just put it all on our shoulders, we all get together, we all lean into it, and we might improve things to a three or a four, and I'm being generous. But changes wrought by the gospel and the power of the Spirit, which 
improve our capacity and motivation and actions, by the way, necessarily. If your motivation change, your actions will change. Man, we might get to a six or seven. Well, that's not perfect, but it's better than a three or a four. So which one do you want to invest your time and hope in, Christian, young adult? I get it that you haven't seen that in the institutional church, in Christianityism, not much anyway. But we have seen it historically in revivals. Christians were in the lead to fight to end slavery in, in England. Read, read a bio, biography of John Newton and, and Wilberforce. So let's talk about this modern example. Back to Keith Ellison's comments on the George Floyd murder trial. He says this, everyone involved in the prosecution pursued one goal, justice. We pursued justice wherever it led. That long, hard, painstaking work has culminated today. I would not call it today's verdict justice, however, because justice implies true restoration. But it is accountability, which is the first step towards justice. And now the cause of justice is in your hands. And when I say your hands, I mean the hands of the people of the United States. All right. I want to unpack his comments because it really is a good example of the best of secular humanism. Or if we wrap Jesus around it um, and said Jesus would be pleased with us if we did these things, it would be Christianityism, right? And I again, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that I know his involvement with Jesus and the Spirit. I, I'm not commenting on his faith or his eternal well-being. Right with me? I'm just commenting on what he has said. The goal, he says, the one goal was justice. Well, I. Yeah, it's it's certainly the highest goal in, in this particular case. I agree with that. But we mean two different things when we're using that word. It's the same word, but we're meaning two different things. When a secular humanist, when Christianityism says justice, at least in our United States context, what we mean is a guilty verdict where the jury or the judge gets it right and the perpetrator goes to prison for an appropriate just length of time, according to the laws right, which may or may not be just, that's very subjective, and keeps changing, reflected on our sense of just, because that's not unanimous in the country, right? But to get to that justice, the perpetrator has been encouraged in most cases to lie, right? Uh, They declare that they are innocent of all charges, the plea, because that's what our justice system does. That says something about our system. And then the witnesses, each of whom has faults and issues with subjectivity and believability. They're called for and testify. And we know witness testimony is, is perennially poor. Science speaks in, right? We got DNA video in this case, forensic scientist, the victim or victim's family may or may not have a say. And then the jury of peers, right? Honestly, I mean, how good of peers are they, right? It's all subjective. Watch the TV show Bull. They do the best they can to come up with a supposedly just verdict. And then the judge completes the sentencing, right, with a just sentencing. Again, people rarely agree. And so is it a just sentence? Honestly, it's highly subjective and subject to ever-changing social mores. This, This is what secular humanistic minds, Christianityism refers to as justice. Well, it's, it's what we know uh, experientially. And to argue, yeah, it's faulty, but it's the best on the planet. 
Well, that makes my case for me. It likely is the best on the planet, but it is also faulty in so many ways. There's always a debate whether this is just or has been enough justice or the right justice. There's always a worry about making mistakes. So for secular humanists and for Christianityism, all right, it's the best we've got. If there is no God, then this is pretty good. And, and we can reform that on our own, our own capabilities. We can pass laws. We can lean into the subjective changes. And we should do, by the way. I think that's reasonable. But in the end, it's going to be faulty. And even at the level of justice, it's designed to reach. Let's not kid ourselves. Rarely is everyone happy about the outcomes. And many times, people aren't happy at all. Somewhat more justice, somewhat less, so to speak, whatever that means. There's no standard uh, that, that we adhere to, not in secular, humanistic, Christianityism measurements. Ellison rightly seems to admit that the trial wasn't really about justice, but more likely accountability. Because justice, he says, implies true restoration. So let me unpack restoration. Secular humanism and Christianityism cannot do restoration in a murder trial. It doesn't have power to raise the dead back to life. It can't even do that for a rape trial where it it can't restore purity, restore a sense of safety, a sense of identity, or a robbery or abuse. In each case, secular, humanistic, Christianityism, justice does not have the power to restore things back to pre-crime status ever, often even close. The victim and the victim's friends and families are always changed period. So it's a bit flippant for Ellison to speak about true restoration if he's speaking secular humanistically. Our human courts do not and will never have that kind of power. Reformation cannot reach that goal um, and it's always subject to social and political whims. It just is. But Christians The gospel can speak of true restoration. Matter of fact, it does. God does his best work with dead things. He raises, this this is his thing. He raises dead things to life. He redeems, he restores. And God himself testifies that he is ultimately just. He is the arbiter of all justice. He's the standard and he's the just God of both the living and the dead. And he alone can raise the dead to life, to new life, and even to a better life. He alone can restore what was taken and promises to in Revelation. And he has the capacity and desire to fill the victim to the full with his own fullness. Whatever that means, that's pretty good. That's Ephesians 3. So not only is there uh, restoration, there's a potential for so much more in God's courtroom, right? And, And by the way, Christians, that's what we're promoting, the, the awareness that there's a, a new courtroom and there's a new judge that we can actually depend upon who is bigger and better than anything we can do here. So in his courtroom, victims end up better off. It's not even close. After the crime and the trial, this is better than true restoration. Christians, this is the bar of our brand. So Ellison says that at least we got accountability. I mean, really? Oh, my goodness, that's so subject, subjective. What accountability, right? I, I haven't heard, maybe it happened, uh, of any accountability from Chauvin. Has he admitted what he did, why he did it, repented, showed remorse? Is he changed? Has he accepted accountability? 
Well, I don't think so. In fact, as I write this, I'm hearing that the defense has made motions to pursue legal loopholes. Well, that's about right. So even though Ellison hadn't said it, we've only achieved a little accountability and Chauvin's going to jail. Maybe. (laughs) He's going to be punished for what he did, murder, maybe, uh, meaning maybe punished. Or And stuff that he didn't do, right, from a Christian point of view. He didn't love and honor a fellow human being. That's what God charges him to do. Man, that's our standard. Is he going to repay the family for their loss? No. Our justice system doesn't lean into that or accomplish that. The accountability that Ellison talked about and bragged about is really limited. It's pretty skimpy. Look, in our human systems, our American judicial system, It has very little to tell victims and victims' family, right? Well, that's it. You just need to accept this as justice, little Jay. You need to suck it up. You need to move on with your life. We did the best we can. And hopefully uh, uh, George Floyd's death will have some meaning. At At least there was accountability. Really? No wonder. Humans have this nagging voice in their head that goes, was that it? And I, I, I don't feel good about this. Something's still not right. So how can how much can secular Christianityism justice really be reformed by our efforts? Because we're already the best on the planet. That justice <clears throat> is as good as secular humanism can take it. I mean, we can tweak it, but honestly, it's. It's, it's probably as good, close to as good as it's going to get. So, so if we came in at a one, maybe we can take it to a three or a four experience of justice. And the gospel takes us so much further. And the Holy Spirit in us already, already knows what the justice will be. And if we are in sync with the Holy Spirit, we can begin to live our lives uh, with, with an, a sense of justice and accountability done. A little bit. Not perfectly. That's heaven. The gospel goes so much further than secular humanism. God has the power and the absolute commitment to give Chauvin a heart filled with godly sorrow, meaning God can actually give him power to see what he did, why he did it, and and to empower him, make him feel deep remorse for the pain and loss that he caused. In the next podcast, I'll speak of a prayer of Solomon that reflects this uh, justice in God's court. God's justice is so much more sophisticated than ours. It, it just leaves it in the dust. In the end, the gospel's justice really does restore loss, ultimately. Not perfectly this side of heaven, but it's noticeable. Really does empower accountability. Again, not perfect this side of heaven, but it is noticeable. It assures us that all injustices will be dealt with in full. Again, not perfectly now. That's for heaven but perfectly in the time to come, right? So much more so than our secular humanistic Christianityism justice. It also assures us that nothing has no meaning and value. Sorry for the double negatives. It assures us that George Floyd is an honored image bearer of God himself and so will receive full justice and accountability for this crime against him and his family. And by the way, I could say the same thing for the families as well. The peace of God that surpasses all comprehension would include a sense of justice completed. All right, so which one's better? To be clear, 
they're not mutually exclusive, right? They overlap. If you're immersed in the gospel and are beginning to feel the love of God for a beat up, mistreated people group that's been treated with racism and unjustly, then you will be deeply motivated because Jesus is to make human changes, to legislate change, to implement change. But you will also be motivated to make victims know that secular humanistic justice isn't anywhere near God's justice. It's a mere shadow of real justice. And you will also be filled with godly sorrow to see and feel remorse for your part in the mess here. But the gospel comes to your aid beyond that. Strictly because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, God loves you, victims, as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father as you are. Reform and the secular humanism and Christianityism moves forward almost exclusively by shaming And that's a terrible strategy, though it works short term. It's hypocritically dehumanizing to someone else. The gospel has a different motivator. It's God's kindness that leads us to a change in behavior, Romans 2, 4, to repentance. It's the perfect love of God towards me, the faulty, disappointing, unlover, sorry about the word, unlover of others. And it makes me want to change my behavior. It makes me by changing my motivation and not by shaming me or, or causing me to be afraid of failure, it, it changes me through the love of the height and width and length and depth of love of Christ for me. And by the way, the height and width and length and depth of Christ for others. That's the biggest motivation. Uh, look, the, the justice system we have now doesn't do it that way. The Holy Spirit, who already loves others far more than I do, come on, admit it who motivates me alone, can make me and empower me to love others. You know, and by the way, the Holy Spirit, this side of heaven, isn't going to end racism, but it's going to move us so much further than secular humanism will or can, more than Christianityism will or can. So when Christians begin to be motivated to make difference in justice, social justice, ending oppression, racism, dehumanization of any kind, and they run to secular humanistic solutions and institutions and the shaming strategy to do more and do things more right. In one sense, it sounds good, and the words are right, so it it can be a good thing. The goal is good, and maybe that's all they know, because the Church of Jesus Christ has been so quiet about God's justice, has been on the bench for so long, and those folks haven't been told of the passion of the Spirit in their inner being uh, to hate racism. They haven't witnessed real revivals where entire cultures are changed. But the tragic thing is that all that that passion and effort will, will lead to very little change not like the potential of what the Holy Spirit can do. Christianityism uses the same words and has the same reported goals. It just will accomplish all too little. Back to Ellison. As Ellison says, now it's in the hands of the American people. Oh my gosh, is that really where we want justice to reside? By the way, they're the ones who created this system. (laughs) If if as many people suggest that America is a racist country filled with racists, (laughs) you, you want... Justice being put in their hands? I mean, have you met those people? (laughs) I mean, I would disagree with a lot of that, but I'm just saying, listen to the rhetoric out there. Wouldn't you rather have it in the hands of Jesus and his spirit? All right, what do you think? 
I'm sure I've stepped on toes. I'm sure this whole podcast has been a microaggression, but that's what we do at the Gospel Rant. Let me know, bill at gospel-app.com. That's it for today. See you next time. In the meantime, check out the website, gospel-app.com, and specifically look at the two amazing experiential gospel paths. The forgiving path is the one designed to help people who want justice, who struggle to forgive, who've been beat up, right? Some injustice, some racism, some dehumanization. And that's all of us to one degree or another, a little or a lot, right? And you definitely know someone who's struggling right now. Uh, So check out The Forgiving Path, a little over two hours, and you can begin to experience God's justice. We'll give you that trial that your brain has been jonesing for. Then there is the dance. This for anyone, and we all know someone, likely lots of people who feel like they're a disappointment to God or to others, they've fallen short. So think people who feel not enoughness, disconnectedness, uh, meaning shame and loneliness. Does the, do, do the forgiving path and the dance help? Yes, we can actually scientifically prove it. And either way, by the way, it's a 100% money back guarantee. So check it out. We'll see you next time on The Gospel Rant. Pass it on to others who might be inspired or offended. That's okay. We want to step on as many toes as possible. All right, I'm just kidding that last thing, but I'm sure we are. So offended or not, you're always welcomed here. Take heart, child of God. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.